I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Welcome to today's episode. We're going to talk about the shortage of gig workers that. Many of you might have noticed. I'm Sridhar Krishna from Takshashila Institution, and I've got with me my colleagues Anupam Manur and Sudeeshka Mishra. Welcome, Anupam. Hey, Sridhar. Good to be here. Hi, Anupam. Great. So, you know, these platform companies seem to be dealing with a very severe shortage of gig workers, and I've been reading about this in the newspapers over the last day. And in fact, I've even that if I want to book a big basket delivery slot now, it takes much longer than it used to in the past. If I want to hail an Uber, I have to wait much longer and be more patient than we've all been. So in a country where unemployment is rising and there seems to be a big shortage of jobs, why is that these platform companies are experiencing a sudden shortage of big workers? What do you think would be the reason for this? And is this a temporary one or is this something that is going to be long-term? That's really what we want to talk about. So Anupam, do you want to take a stab at it? Yeah, thanks, Hila. So I think there's, there's two aspects here really that we should focus on. One is a temporary seasonal kind of effect that's going on, which is, I mean, it depends on how much weighted to these things, but, you know, Delhi... Northern India is facing a massive heat wave and therefore people are not willing to step out. They'd like to demand more things, you know, sitting at home and and there's a fierce competition going on between different platforms to reduce, you know, their turnaround time. So all of that is creating a spike in demand. So when you talk about shortage, there's two things happening really. One is that there is an increased demand and two, there might actually be a decreased supply. So I think we're witnessing both of those things at the same time. So in terms of increased demand, yeah, one is the heat wave aspect. People are probably ordering more things in, etc. There's also the IPL going on, which, you know, traditionally sees a surge in kind of demand for food delivery and various other things. Mm-hmm. So those two things combined will kind of explain the hike in, you know, the demand aspect of it. When it comes to supply, I think there's the temporal aspect and the more kind of deeper structural aspect, right? I think the temporal aspect is that, again, the heat wave, because, you know, it's it's extremely hot and probably, you know, some people are making clever choices as to not be on the road in the heat in the middle of the afternoon in northern India, right? So that is explaining a part of why people are not on the streets. But also there is one, I think, very important aspect, which is just fuel cost. The, you know, if you look at all of these gig workers, they rely heavily on on petrol right on and because they the transportation is a big thing whether they're delivering groceries or food or their uber drivers all of that is heavily dependent on fuel and given that fuel costs have increased by anything around 25 30 percent in just the last few months you know take a big hit in terms of their bottom line so you know some people might be quiet for the moment really and seeing whether it's tied to work we can come to the structural issues, but I think very briefly, it's to do with, yeah, I mean, just very low pay options, not enough, you know, I mean, 
just not enough compensation for the job that they do. And, and therefore, I think some of them might be returning to jobs pre-pandemic, etc. So we can discuss some of that in detail. So the two things that, that are of interest in what you said, Anupam. So one is that there is a, the pay is not great and the, for the amount of hardship that they have to endure to do these jobs. And therefore, people are saying, hey, I, maybe I won't do this. The second thing which seems to be happening is that someone saying that, hey, I mean, last time round, there was this lockdown and I had to go back to my village. And I found that working there, living in the village is, is not so bad. Between the Mandrega and like the other kinds of odd jobs that I'm able to do in the village and in and around there, maybe I can have a better life. Why do I need to return to the city? Do you think there is that? Of people yeah, with an extremely lower cost of, cost of living, right? Yeah. So one is, yeah, maybe they're making just about enough doing odd jobs, etc. back in the village. But you have to compare that against the cost of living, which will be phenomenally different living in Delhi versus living in, in, in any village in North India. And so I think that matters quite a bit. Okay. So Sudisha, do you want to talk about the subject of pay? Because you had some conversation with some platform workers over the last few days. You've been tweeting with them, chatting with them on uh, WhatsApp and everything else. So do you want to give us a sense of what you heard? What do they think about the pay? And is it, um, so what, what is that? So I think that uh, the kind of data that I collected and when it comes to pay from these workers, it kind of varied. So I learned that in tier three cities, these delivery partners are able to make around, let's say, anything between twenty-three to twenty-five thousand per month. And uh, in tier one cities, which include Bangalore, Delhi, Bombay, etc., they are able to make around sometimes even sixty k per month. Wow! Now one can argue that for a job that only requires knowing how to read Google Maps and driving around your bike or scooty or whatever, it's a rather a good pay. But personally, I don't think that they are being compensated properly for the kind of labor they are putting in. They are working around 12, 10 to 12 hours a day. And it doesn't matter what the kind of weather is. They just have to do their jobs. And even their incentive is based on the number of orders they are able to complete. And, you know, these kind of things, they make it difficult for them to be flexible about this job, no matter how much it's touted, right? So one can say that anyone can do this delivery executive thing because it's a flexible job. But I personally think that's not the case because the number of orders you're supposed to complete in order to get incentives, that's a big factor. They have to work all day to get that. And then when you look at some of the things that happen with them, so for example, I know that when you become a delivery executive with Zomato, you're supposed to pay around 1200 to 1500 rupees up front just for the uniform now that is a defendable thing but it only happens when you complete 100 orders now i haven't heard of any company that is probably doing that another factor is that even if they are able to make around 60k per month in tier one city is doing this job they still have to subtract around 25 to 30 percent which is the fuel cost or let's say They've taken a bike on rent or something of that sort. So a large chunk of that income is going in things that they shouldn't really have to pay for, right? So even if it seems like a good amount of money for someone like them, I truly think it's not. Yeah, Anupam, you wanted to say something here. 
Yeah, no, that's a very interesting thing. I think a lot of people mistake wages with revenue. The way to look at gig workers, given that they're not employed by any of these platforms, they're, they're independent entrepreneurs, right? Which means that what they get, that whether it's 30K, 25K, and, and remember, I think 60K is the aberration there. Okay, that's by no means the the average, whether mean or median. Yeah, I think median would be a lot lower. But nonetheless, okay, if we take something as median as 30, 30,000 is not their income, right? 30,000 is their revenue, which means that you have to minus the operating costs from that amount. So, and this operating cost can be quite a bit, which I, I don't think a lot of people really realize, right? So one is, of course, you know, your, your fuel costs, which people have spoken about, that is quite a bit has been increasing and so on. But a lot of people also don't have the capital for, you know, for their assets. So whether it is buying a scooter or for Uber, you know, buying that car, that can be extremely expensive, you know, upfront payment. So what they do is usually get it on EMI. They buy these things on EMI and they have to make a hefty payment towards that, right? Each month. And, and that you have to exclude from whatever revenue they're getting, right? So the net profit as such, when you subtract all of these operating expenditures, uh, upfront payments, etc. from, you know, monthly revenue, then you're actually left with very little. So th- there is a difference, right? You you can't look at this as wages. Where, you know, the wages is basically the company gives you all of your assets and you're just doing a job and you get to keep that much. Here, that's not the case. That's clearly not the case. We've seen many times where, you know, the, just the EMI payment towards that car or bike is massive. There's some gig workers, for example, who take a scooter or, you know, two-wheeler basically on day-to-day rent. So in Bangalore, you have companies which rent out uh, two-wheelers, right? I mean, and, you know, things like whatever, these bike rental companies. So they pay quite a hefty sum there. So, you know, you're paying a big sum towards that. And basically, you have to make just about more than that in order to keep something away, right? And then these are, it's not, the, the numbers are quite small. Correct. And I do want to get back to this point about the wages and whether they are adequate or not adequate going forward. But before that, let's take a short break. Thank you and welcome back. I was reading this report on the state of inequality in India, which was released earlier this week. And it is by the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council. So, I mean, it's a sort of formal governmental body report, at least blessed by the governmental body. And when you look at that report, it says that if you're earning 25,000 rupees a month in India, you're probably in the top 10% of all wages. Right. So if people are, I mean, despite all these conversations about how much of this should be deducted and what should be included, etc. If you say that, you know, if somebody is earning, say, 20 to 25,000 rupees a month in India, it is in the top 10% of their wage. So, so it doesn't seem to be the pay that's sort of um, no, but pushing Shita, people just away a from this. There. Yeah? When you're talking about earning, that is wages. That that's no, no. I'm talking wages. I'm after all all the costs. I'm saying if you're earning yeah. say forty thousand so rupees, if a person is actually earning twenty five k after deducting after all expenses, all costs, that's, that's what I'm talking amount. about. That's not yeah. a bad amount, right? So maybe they are not earning that much. Maybe they are earning only fifteen. Maybe they are earning only twenty. So that's something to sort of really look at. And I think it varies quite a bit from one type of platform to another. The second thing is that they are not seeing a I think it's people have managed to go and live in small towns and found their costs of living there to be substantially lower. 
and considering the kind of pain that they had to go through last time around when those big lockdowns they are worried and they may think that maybe we'll wait for maybe it's a waiting game wait for things to get better completely and then maybe they'll come back yeah the second thing i see is interest rates seem to have gone up so i don't know whether these people are able to uh, now the cost of borrowing a bike or taking a bike on loan etc is going to go up so i think that's another thing which is um, going to impact this and are there other alternatives now let's think of it i mean people might find that this is not worthwhile etc but what is the alternative to gig work in, in for somebody with that level of qualification in india correct so, i think that's the most important aspect of all of this shridhar the way i i look at this market right is that there is intense competition between platforms right so you have just in the delivery space in bangalore for example there are multiple outlets which are offering you know 10 minutes delivery 20 minutes delivery etc and so there's a competition a very fierce competition between the the platforms what that is doing is it is essentially obviously then that will lead to lower prices to the end consumer now some of that lower prices of course is subsidized in a way by venture capital money but not all of it right? the other parts of lowering that cost will have to come from you know i mean from either keeping the wages constant or decreasing it or you know increasing the number of orders per person and so on so this puts incredible pressure on the individuals who are employed to you know to make just more deliveries make more orders per day etc right now some of that of course is achieved through better logistics i think every single platform is investing in better logistics you know you have you know nearer kind of you have more center set up closer to residential hubs they're investing in ai which can predict the kind of orders at certain times etc so all of that is going on for sure but we cannot deny the incredible amount of pressure on the final delivery executives and so on right and it, it's a combination of all of these things now unfortunately though so that is that is in terms of the competition between platforms unfortunately i don't think there is enough competition for gig workers across the platforms you know so what happens is yes there is about 40% attrition i think that's a number i have it at its peak right now there's about 40% kind of attrition right so delivery executives move from one platform to the other and from you know from there on one to the another but there's only so many platforms that you can ultimately move right there's not enough of platforms that can keep guaranteeing you higher wages so you know you get mistreated one place or too many orders not enough compensation one place you can jump ship but they're frightfully similar on this account what is missing and i think this is the biggest problem here is that there are not enough non gig kind of jobs that are competing with these gig jobs that can push wages up i think that is the crucial problem in all of this yeah i think so i think like either we're going to have a country where our labor force participation rate is going to go down or people are just going to be satisfied with doing some casual work near their hometowns in those little villages and so on which case we will never become a more affluent country with uh, better living conditions for all i'd say or the gig or these gigs start paying a little bit more and like you know and finally it has to be a a reasonable wage has to be paid for people to be willing to put up with the difficulties and move so if there is if the government starts coming up with things like portability of ration cards so that people can come and like you know get ration anywhere access to the pds system 
irrespective of where they live. Maybe there's some urban housing which will make it affordable, rental projects which are available for people who travel from another, for migrant labor. So those kind of systemic structural benefits, if they come into play, maybe it'll become easier to attract people, migrant workers from other parts of the country to come in. That's one. Secondly, maybe the platform economies need to start paying better, provide like slightly, have less wage volatility, be more realistic in terms of the number of deliveries that are expected of people. And finally, the consumer should be willing to pay a little bit more than what they are, what they've got used to. If you are paying like some very small wages for, I mean, very small charges for somebody. I mean, the other day I wanted a packet of chips and I ordered it on Danzo. And the guy came and it charged me like some 30 rupees extra over the packet of chips. And I'm wondering why should, I mean, if you want to be that lazy, you ought to pay more, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's really my point. And I think eventually we'll all have to pay a little bit more for it to be a truly viable yeah. scenario. So again, I'll come back to the same point again, Sridhar, but in, in probably using slightly more technical language this time, but it comes down to elasticity, right? You have, you know, if you look at these platforms as essentially two-sided markets, right? Uh, with, you know, you look at a Swiggy or Dunzo or, as the platform and there are two sides to it. One side being the, the end consumer and the other side being, let's say, the delivery executive, right? And in case of Swiggy, there's also the restaurant partner, but that is an entirely different ballgame. So in a purely delivery game, there's just two sides. and One is being, one is the customer and the other is the delivery executive. Now, traditional economics teaches us that you will charge a higher price where demand is more inelastic. And, and inelastic, so that is yeah. the problem. Now you have for end consumers, you have multiple choices, right? So I can, uh, if I'm that lazy guy, right? Or you're the lazy guy. Okay. So there is Sridhar <laughs> who needs a packet of chips, can order it from five different platforms or ultimately if none of those things work out, can ultimately walk to the store and get it. So those Correct. are the, you know, different kind of competition there. But on the other end, there is not enough competition and therefore demand tends to be a lot more, you know, elastic. So you're going to, the, the, the platform will squeeze more out of the delivery executive in order to give it to the consumer. And that's what's happening. And that seems entirely bizarre from a kind of a third person's point of view, because in all cases, it is the, you know, the person who is ordering the end consumer is far better off, you know, in terms of amount of disposable income, in terms of wealth status, income status, etc. than the delivery executive. But the nature of the economics, the nature of the market is as such that, you know, <laughs> the delivery executive is in a way subsidizing the end consumer. And yeah. let's just... It's a very bizarre that, right? scenario, right? It's a very, it is a very bizarre scenario bizarre. where you're asking the poor to subsidize the rich. And the only way the rich can have greater comforts, etc., is for the poor to remain like really poor or even become poorer. And the, it doesn't, isn't that the kind of scenario? Wouldn't that, wouldn't you call this kind of thing a sort of some kind of market failure where like, you know, you don't you, aren't you tempted to suggest, I mean, all of us have like this discomfort with government regulations, etc., and mandating this or that. But don't you think that this is a kind of scenario where there needs to be some regulation, something which, there's something wrong here, right? Yeah, yes. I mean, there is something wrong and I don't think we have very clear solutions about it. But one thing to start with, as I've been saying, is just the market structure itself. So you are looking at um, an oligopsony, 
right? What that means is essentially there's just a few number of buyers and there's a lot of sellers. So if you're looking at delivery being the service that they're selling, there's a lot of sellers, right? Because there's not enough jobs, uh, other jobs. So there's a lot of people who are willing to do this work, but only a few essential buyers. People who can employ them, yeah? Buying, right? So that's, few people that's who can the buy first, their services, yeah? Mm-hmm. Correct. That's the first market failure there. That's an oligopsony, if you please, right? Correct. So that's the first market failure. The other bits, I think, will just follow from there. So all types of things about working conditions, amount of wages, all of that follows from this fundamental situation. I don't think you can correct it by imposing minimum wage laws. You can't correct it by doing, you'll just probably lose out on more employment. By the way. So I think there's a very clear gap in terms of solutions. But yeah, that's at least the, the nature of the problem. Yeah, I mean, there are very few gaps in terms of solutions which may succeed in the long run. But in the short run, I see some of the, at least I was also reading about it in the US. And I said, hey, what are these guys doing differently? And apparently, some of them are getting those workers back in by giving them some one-time bonus for asking them to rejoin and reconnect with the platform. They're giving them slightly better wages, at least for a short period of time. They are giving them a lower, they're deducting smaller percentage of income. So they seem to be doing some of those things. Do you think that might happen in India as well? Because these finally, these platform players are not going to wait it out for a long time. And they need to show, they've got like, they've raised a lot of VC money and those VCs are going to be impatient. And they'll want to show results faster. And therefore, they might end up improving. The, we can hope that maybe that will help them improve the working conditions of these gig workers and help them come back to and rejoin the workforce. Correct. So I I think what we've got to wait and see is whether this shortage that exists is temporal or structural, right? So I think if there are enough number of people who have actually quit for good and, you know, your uh, platforms can't remedy it overnight, then you will see a situation where I think wages will go up and so on. So that's actually a good scenario. That is something to look out for. I mean, and it's in the interest of pretty much everybody. But if it is just a temporal thing, as we spoke about because of IPL, heat wave, etc. And things get back to normal. I don't see that there's enough incentive for the platforms to hike wages. So I think that's really the key that you've got to look out for. Brilliant. On this happy note. So who do you think is going to win IPL? <laughs> no clue. Not really interested. <laughs> I'm waiting for any good test series. So yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. And this was interesting talking to you. I know that there aren't very many solutions at the moment, but at least it's important to stay tuned to this problem and hope that things get do get better. All right. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM podcast app ivmpodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at takshashilainst or our website takshashila.org.in.